This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Today, we're chatting with Mick Doolan. Mick and his wife, Pip, own and manage Walla Walla, a 1,300-hectare mixed farm between Galagambone and Canambo. Mick grew up at Coonabarabran and was working on his parents' farm when the opportunity arose to purchase Walla Walla with a mate. Mick and Pip have since bought out Mick's mate and are managing the property themselves, focusing on breeding and fattening cattle with the recent addition of cropping to value add to their livestock enterprise. In this episode, Mick discusses some of the most important factors around the first 10 years of owning a farm. Things like learning from others, prioritising machinery, managing your cash flow, building good networks, and making the use of a little bit of luck. Mick talks to us about the value of really good business advice. And as you'll hear him explain, joining a benchmarking group has challenged his ideas and helped him develop a new approach to decision-making on the farm, especially how to make the good decisions during the harder seasons. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Advisor, Callan Thompson, caught up with Mick while he was taking a rain-induced break from sorghum planting. So today I'm with Mick Doolan. Thanks, Mick, for taking the time to catch up with me. Yeah, no worries, Cal. It's a bit of luck from my point of view that it's started raining, but a bit of a pain for you, slowed down a bit of sorghum sowing. Yeah, well, you wouldn't wish it away. Uh, there'd be people chasing me with sticks and pointy <laughs> pitchforks if you start doing too much of that. No, it'll dry out and we'll get it done when it gets done, yeah. Very good. Mick, can you tell me about Walla Walla? Well, we originally sort of owned it in halves with a good mate of ours, uh, Marcus Nebeting. When we kicked off, I think that was in 2012 or 13, just mainly cattle is what we ran. So we had some breeding cattle, so Angus cows, and then we'd trade them when we had a chance. So we've kept doing that, and then Marcus ended up buying a bit over at Cooner, and we stayed here. And since then, we've sort of kept paddling away with our cattle and breeding a few and trading a few. And just the last couple of years, we've just had a crack at putting a few crops in. Oh, very good. And we're in the Glugginbone sort of area, you'd call it? or Yeah, it's halfway. I think we're right on the edge, which doesn't cheer our mailman up because we keep changing the address on him. But it's nearly the same into either. So, yeah, Canemble Glugginbone, yeah. Yep. And how many acres? Uh, it's 3,200, it is. And most of it's sort of flat open country? Yeah, it's all pretty similar, like it's all pretty flat and then there's it's some more open country and just a few little sort of bits that have been left which are probably will always sort of be more grazing but pretty similar country. It does can get a bit wet, there's a bit of a natural water course that goes through it but not the world's worst thing when it drives a chip either. And how many cows are you sort of running? We've had too many and not enough and at the minute we've got... 300 odd cows with calving and that's not too bad it's just probably if we're going to crop a couple too many but yeah it's sort of on or off sort of stuff so if it's 
a year like this, you can't have enough. I think we've been very, very guilty of having too, too many <laughs> when uh, when it wasn't doing what we thought it was going to do, yeah. I don't think there's too many people here a couple of years ago that didn't have too many. One was too many there for a bit, so yeah. <laughs> That's pretty right. And mate, you're doing a bit of cropping. You're about to say some sorghum, but you've got wheat and canola in as well? Yeah, so where we've been running cattle, it probably because we had them on there a little bit greedy. We did give it a bit of a flogging, so it came away with a fair bit of roly-poly. So I was just looking to tidy that up and work those paddocks up. And the sorghum one, he, he was meant to be wet, but he just got a bit too wet. We were a bit too slow getting him in, so well, if it's going to stay wet, we might get away with it, yeah. Mick, how did you get a start out here? What kicked you off? Well, just through Marcus, who I was talking about there before, they'd done all the groundwork on buying this place and they're actually going to buy it with another mate of ours who sort of had an idea of doing something else so Marcus asked if I'd be keen and came out for a drive and thought that'd be pretty interesting so we sat down and worked out how we could do it and how it would all work and yeah it was worked quite well so it, it didn't work too bad either because we were sort of both working for our parents and we weren't here full-time so much so we could sort of share coming over and checking cattle and doing what needed to be done and when we're doing the bigger jobs we'd both come over and try and knock them over so that seemed to work pretty well to get us started sort of thing so that's yeah sort of how we got started over here yeah it sounds like it's a pretty good option going in with someone else who's you're both young and you can buy that bigger bit of land and get that scale earlier on yeah, like we've just a lot of good luck how it all worked out, but just, yeah, by sheer good luck, that seemed to work that we had a little bit of scale there that you could feel just kicking cattle off. You had enough, say, steers that come off. There's a truckload of steers or what what have you. It just allowed you to start from a little bit bigger start. And I guess within that, there'd occasions where there'd be differences in opinion and management style and stuff. How did you sort of manage your way through that? Just, again, probably sheer good luck. But, no, I think we're both similar, sort of, we wanted to do. And it definitely helped that we sort of both came from similar backgrounds, I guess, and doing similar stuff over at home. So, and it was pretty good. We sort of learn a bit from other people, too, and how the things can happen or different ideas. So, I think as long as you sort of had a pretty open mind and stuff like that, it, yeah, it worked pretty good. I wouldn't mind doing that again, that's for sure. And Mick? You're here with your wife, Pip, and two kids? That's right, yeah. She works in town, so she's with the LLS as well. And the kids, they're off in there today too, so they're both at uh, preschool there today. And your parents' farm's back at Coonabarabran? Yeah, that's right. So they're just not that far out of town, actually. So we poke back there and help them when we can. And then we also use a bit of their gear and whatnot too, so it's close enough we can still grab a bit of gear or get a hand or lend a hand if need be. So, mate, you and Pip are running the show now here by yourself. As you said, Marcus is on another back at Kuna. Mate, one of the things I wanted to really talk to you about is those first years of farming. We've got a lot of interest at the moment from young people wanting to come back into agriculture, which is really good. But I sort of think from my own experience, some of those first years are the, the toughest ones and possibly why I'm still wearing a... LLS shirt, not on the farm full-time myself. And I think one of those really tough things is that initial cash flow. 
how have you managed to keep that cash flow up to keep things turning as you're kicking off? I don't know either. To be honest, it's just sometimes it's magic how it just all works out. But I think we were pretty lucky. Like there's probably like anything a bit of luck in in it. We had a, some pretty handy years when we just started, and cattle prices were hooking along pretty well. So we'd sort of managed to sort of amass a few, like have enough numbers around us to be sort of set for a little bit. That was definitely tricky. And I guess when we started, we were only just cattle. You can run a pretty tight ship with those things. All you really need is a motorbike and pliers for most of it. So <laughs> like, if you can put up with a bit of not great infrastructure, you can do it pretty cheap. Yeah, so we're pretty lucky on that. And then we probably helped road our gains there by taking a lot of them into the dry times there a little bit. But that was sort of the big thing. Like with the stock, we didn't seem to need too many things or what not with the farming we're finding there's always another thing you need or want or I don't know when that'll ever stop or if it does but yeah there's always a fatter auger or a longer auger or some other bit of gear that you seem to need there. That was actually going to be my next question mate. Again one of the issues when you're first kicking off is the machinery especially since you've moved into the cropping side of things. How have you managed getting the right gear that you need? Well pretty fortunate we could get a pretty good planner, get a hold of mum and dad's one there to help sow there. So that's a bit of a help. Yeah, we could fortunately borrow their planter for this year and then going forward, we'll probably look to have our own. But that definitely did help because, yeah, initially if you there's a fair bit of gear that you need and none of it is overly cheap, so it can be a little bit difficult, but that definitely did help getting hold of that. And then we sort of managed to chip away and get a bit of our own gear, which... Maybe not the newest gear, but good enough for us. Pip and I were talking the other day about lack of machinery and I have similar issues and talking about spray rigs and Pip said one of the things that impressed her about what you were doing is you'd buy a piece of machinery and use it for a little while and then be able to afford to go up to the next step and toss that out. And she said you did that with a ex-cotton picking yeah, rig. it was a really good machine. I can't remember when we got that. I think it was quite dry still, but it was a cotton picker that had been converted into a boom spray. Whoever did it did a really good job. It got us going. I think sowing last year, I was folding the boom out on it and I was watching something and not watching the boom and put the boom through the windscreen of it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that was the first load of... I don't know how many tanks it was, but there's a fair few windscreenless tanks after that. So, <laughs> And then it was a battle to find a windscreen for it too. So I think we might have done one or two in-crops without the windscreen on the old girl, but it's shifted on down the road now. So I reckon it might have another few years of doing what it does. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to be the jockey there now, but it was good enough to get the show on the road, yeah. If you had your time again, what would be the first bit of machine you'd invest in? The four-wheeler gets, like, we that's what we got from the get-go, and that is key, especially with the livestock when we started. That good bike's pretty good. You can throw it on the ute and go to wherever if you've got cattle away or something like that, so that was pretty important. That's one thing I wonder with the quad bikes getting a bit harder to buy with the rule changes, whether that makes it a bit harder to if you have to step into a side-by-side or something instead, you probably use a two-wheeler, but probably just horses for courses sort of thing. But 
the loaded tractor, like a got my parents' one here, but that is probably a thing that should have been on the list from the get go. That's there's been lots of things lifted with ratchet straps or some sort of dangerous way of doing it, but probably from the get go, if you're allowed for one of them, would be probably pretty smart, I reckon. It's funny you say that. A good mate of mine who's also an avid listener of this podcast, and she'll know who I'm talking about straight away. I know they've just upgraded their loader and sick of the old loader that could only really carry 700 kilos, but had been carrying a ton. And the safety component of having a good loader that can do what you're actually trying to do with it's pretty critical, I think. I would agree with that. We'd forgotten we actually had a loader tractor here for a bit, but yeah, the mighty Chamberlain, it had limited capabilities of what it was going to lift or safely. <laughs> so um, no, that you did enjoy a good one of them, I reckon. I think that, again, is one of the risks when you're first kicking off is you're often using that gear that's just not the right thing for the job and you're often doing it quickly and things break and you seem to always be in a rush. From OH&S point of view, that, that's pretty tricky. And then I guess on the other side of the coin, which probably I'm a bit guilty of, you put your economist hat on and did you really need the loader? You probably could have towed it over with a ute or something <laughs> like that. Like It doesn't seem to be the thing that helps pay the bills i guess like yes you probably should have one it hasn't been the end of the world not to have one sort of thing yeah so mick you mentioned you worked for your mum and dad prior to buying walla walla what education and training did you do prior to buying here to sort of get you ready for farm ownership sometimes i wonder what it did do but went and did livestock science at at armadale which i had a good time there and i did learn some stuff when I was on the grain vac, vacking up the grain there for a fair part of the start of the year, I was thinking that other people that did that course that don't have to use a grain vac <laughs> are pretty smart. So I guess it's more the knowing what buttons to push and when sort of thing, not the doing part, I guess, is probably, and probably, which it sounds like a really expensive way to do it, but learning how to learn a bit and learning what's, Good info and bad. That was probably the big ones, I guess. And then along with some good animal husbandry stuff or genetic stuff, plant stuff. But yeah, other things that are just, you learn, you do it and go, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> and you, you don't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you hadn't gone up to Armadale, you wouldn't have met your wife either, which we probably should add. Yeah, I'd be sitting pretty now, wouldn't I? That's, uh, <laughs> no, that'd be crying shame and we wouldn't have two lovely children, so... No, all the better for it. And you've been involved in a few industry-type training events. Like I think you were the New South Wales Cattle Council Rising Champion at one stage. That was an enjoyable week, sort of learn how, what goes on policy-wise and how the decisions get made in Canberra. And it was very interesting and learned a lot about it and probably pretty hectic time for us now, but if I'm not sure if... If they ever calm down, if you'd fit something like that in, it could be enjoyable, yeah. And Mick, Pip mentioned you're in a benchmarking group. Can you tell me a bit about that? Well, we're just interested to see how we're going. You know, you can probably get your blinkers on and think you're doing a good job or maybe you're not sort of thing. And it's sort of good to see where you can get a tune-up sort of thing. So we did that through a group AgriPath. We sort of got a lot out of that. You can sort of break down your businesses into its different enterprises and look at sort of what's paying the bills and, yeah, what you can improve. And they punch out some pretty good ratios too. So you can look at 
am I setting on too much gear for what I'm doing or do we need more stuff? Like, where do we sit? That was sort of a really good thing to sort of see where we sit in amongst sort of different operations too. So generally speaking, they're like a lot larger operations. So sort of good to get an idea where you fit and make sure that, yeah, you're not paddling away in the corner thinking, why aren't we doing any good when if there's something you could be doing different, I guess, yeah. The producers that sign into those benchmarking groups are generally your industry leaders. So I guess you're comparing yourself with some of the better operators. I hope so. We'd be keen to do some following more than leading. But yeah, no, it was good to sort of, yes, see what they're doing and especially looking at like a dry year and how they can handle that. And then when, say, 2020, when it turns back on, how they can kick it back into gear and sort of what they prioritise. So were they going to, what were they trying to put their effort into to see some return? I know you've got a good network of mates who are in similar sort of circumstances to you. How do you use those networks and I guess mentors and influences to sort of help guide you along? Pretty impressive, I guess, through a bit of uni and other things. But yeah, it's pretty impressive when you can sort of get on the phone and you can talk to a grain trader that you might have gone to school or uni with and an agent with similar sort of thing. And it can sort of be pretty helpful. You can sort of get a finger on the pulse of what's going on or even some slimy chemical reps you can even get (laughs) (laughs) understand what they're up to if they're not rubbing their greedy little hands together (laughs) or going on uh, corporate events but no it's it's really good you can understand what's happening in their game and that sort of helps you do what you're doing or can help you they might know someone with a good thing like we had a few things that we knew someone that could help us or cattle went somewhere because based on i think it's a not watching our two, you know, sometimes. And if you're prepared to ask the right questions, you'll probably get the right answers, yeah. I think it's important to have those sort of networks, but also, and especially for young producers, it's important to have really good professionals in your team, like people like your bank manager, accountant, agros and agents. How do you go about picking a good one, do you reckon? Again, probably just good luck there that we've seen. My parents had a pretty good one and she's sort of moved banks and they followed her there. So we actually use the same one as them. And it's quite good because she's got a pretty good understanding of, you know, where we've come from and what we're trying to do. And she's got a genuine interest that we go well. And then, yeah, similarly with accountant, we sort of followed ladies. She was with one firm and moved to another and because she sort of had a good understanding of what we're up to that sort of seemed to be the thing if we just by good luck if you get someone good you try and follow them we haven't had too many so it's probably not like we've speared too many but yeah just by good luck if we get someone that we appreciate well we'll try and stick with them yeah so you've sort of worked with people that your parents have already had a good relationship and you know do a good job but then make sure that they have a good understanding of your business and understand your goals and are happy to work with that? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And I guess you don't really need an agronomist, given that that's Pitt's background. Well, true. She would argue that we'd probably need five agronomists circling (laughs) us with sticks because sometimes the best advice falls on deaf ears here and if two litres of Roundup doesn't kill it, I don't know what will. (laughs) It's not the right answer for a good agronomist, as it turns out, yeah. I don't know, mate. I've spent a fair few of my 
professional years as an agronomist and when you get onto the farm, you realize that sometimes that advice you were giving was actually a real pain in the ass and probably not that achievable. Well, yeah, it's probably slings and roundabouts, I guess. You've got a penny-pinching farmer that's there's some good sheep feed in that. I'll just, I won't spray that just yet. And then when it's three foot tall and that rate didn't kill it, because when you looked at it, it was only little. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's probably two sides of the coin, I guess. That definitely does happen. So Mick, when you're looking at your business and trying to work out where to invest capital and where to invest money back into your business, how do you do that? I'm sure there's better ways to do it, but pretty well to just make sure if, for the grazing side, if is there enough mouths there to take advantage of what it is and are we putting the best thing on there so I guess we're just trying to very roughly work out what's going to give us a best return I guess so I guess and then which one thing I'm not very good at is trying to work a little bit of risk in there too so as much as I like to put it all on red type (laughs) thing yeah the dice was getting really really hot there while it was dry (laughs) just sort of weighing all that up I guess what is good but what give you good caning if it doesn't come off either so that's probably what like the breeding cattle like they're right now they're good but generally speaking they're just ticking along and we're next year's money's walking around now so that's pretty comforting to know and that might give us a bit of confidence to have a crack on something else that's if we step into some trade cows or what have you we if we do have to take our medicine we know we're not going to have to do anything drastic i guess and Similarly with the cropping, like we just making sure if we're going to do it, we're going to have a bit of a budget there and make sure that we can not grow half the crop and then get stuck wanting more inputs or what have you. And I guess it's on. So if it's a year like this, it's sort of the year to have a crack and get out the home run bat. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, as I found out, you cannot hold that bat all the time. That must go away, (laughs) otherwise... Someone picks up the bat and starts beating you with it. (laughs) But I think most young farmers are buying properties, the property they can afford. And often that house and the infrastructure on the farm is at the best dated. But often on the other side of things, you've got young families and you want to have a house that's comfortable. You want to have a nice garden and stuff around it. I'm actually going through this at the same time with my wife and family. How did you make it happen? Just a very bit of good luck. Like, the house we're in now, it, I don't think Pip would be around if we shoveled her in here with how it was. She was pretty run down. But yeah, Pip's done a really good job. Just sort of get, got a bit of a garden and lawn going and stuff there now. But where we are now, we yeah sort of gave it a bit of a renovation. So I was lucky enough I had a Estonian fella that was a chippy and could tile and what he couldn't do really. So he came out. He's keen to save a bit of money before he went home. So we initially had a bit of a look at this and there's a the old main house. He went and looked at that and he thought this might have been a little bit more achievable. <laughs> <laughs> he, we were looking at the main one there and he's like, the walls are super bad. The floors <laughs> are super bad. And it's super, f- yeah, he didn't like it. Super bad. <laughs> so we came here and I don't know what I initially thought we were going to do, but I didn't think it was as much as this because I haven't done a lot of building, I guess, but he was pretty keen. He said, yeah, we'll rip all the fibro out and insulate it and jip rock it. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad we did. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was sort of, I guess he was the bloke that did most of it and got to give him 10 points for roughing it too, because he stayed here most of the time and I'd come out and work with him, but I'd head home to Kerner 
and um, <laughs> as we slowly smashed this house, and he was left with made one little roomy part in it, split this. I think he just had a window rattler in that, and he had like one PowerPoint. The shower was out on the veranda, and which he could move from the shower and straight to the oven that was right beside him. <laughs> so he was a real pioneer there, poor old Paul. But he loved it. He didn't seem to mind at all, and knocked it over, and pretty happy with how it turned out. Yeah. So finding a backpacker with a trade's a, a real good option. There's probably some plenty good tradesmen, but I don't know of one that couldn't make live like that without <laughs> holding a gun at them. <laughs> <laughs> Paul's he loved it though. He thought it was great. He was a bit of a champ, the fellow we had, but just sheer good luck that we got someone like that. So Mick, I guess one question I wanted to ask, what will your and Pip's business look like in 10 years, do you reckon? Oh, it's really hard to say. Like we've sort of got rough plans that we'd you know, like to improving and get better we're also like we're really good at just seeing an idea and going with it too it's sort of hard sort of if there's an opportunity jumping on that it's sort of hard to picture what that is yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so it's hard to say that does scare pip sometimes so we could be i've always thought well kenya seems lovely in january to <laughs> shift out there or something like that but yeah, I guess we keep a pretty open mind and if there's a better opportunity, be willing to jump on it, I guess. And we don't know what that is, but I guess if we keep our mind open, we're ready to have a crack at whatever happens, I guess, which, as I said, little comfort to Pip. Her grand plan is to be living in Tasmania in like a 100-year-old, more that, like convict-built sandstone house-type deal, whereas not so much for me. The demountable donger at Wilkenia sounds just lovely. <laughs> <laughs> One thing you've spoken a lot about, through this interview is times where you've had good luck, but just from the outside looking in, because I've known you for since we were little kids and Pip was actually my trainee agronomist when we were working together. So watching from the outside, I know you say that you've had good luck, but often I think it's been the willingness to take that sort of risk and, and run with it and make use of that opportunity that's come up. If I was to look from the outside in, I'd say that's, been a real strong point of the way you and Pip do things? Yeah, well, it's a nice thing to say, yeah. Think if there's, you know, if an opportunity is there, you might as well have a bit of a dig, I guess. Especially, you know, in this caper, that's sort of, you got to keep trying to improve or whatnot. So that plus, if you just keep turning up, good gamblers and bad gamblers, they do the same thing. They just keep <laughs> gambling. <laughs> so, you only lose if you stop gambling, I guess. So if you just keep turning up. It's assured. <laughs> Mate, this is a tough one, but it's my last question. What's one thing you would have done differently in hindsight? Oh, I don't know. It's not if we're going to give you one of the those textbook answers of like, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't change a thing, mate. But uh, <laughs> definitely shift the, if I got to choose, I guess I don't because it's what I would have done differently. But we probably could have handled the dry a bit better, but probably that's the medicine you have to take to probably set for life after a good lesson like that i guess we're pretty big on if you i guess we sort of if there's something we would have wanted to change or what have you it's happened so we cop that sweet and move on to the next one i guess so i don't really know yeah mate i think we should probably leave it there i'm just looking at the window and that road's looking wetter and wetter and i would like to get home this afternoon thanks for your time today it was a good yarn thanks mate thanks for listening this podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. 
To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.